Good evening, friends. Welcome back to the front porch. My name is Dennis Rogers, and as always, I'm joined by Michael Daniels. How's it going, Mike? You recovering? You recovered yet from uh, the good old daylight savings time? I barely recovered anything. <laughs> I don't so know if we dire. talked about this. We probably at least mention it every time it happens. But uh, of course, we're in Indiana, which most of the state did not used to observe daylight savings time. Uh, yeah, the weird that's a weird thing, right? Like we changed we didn't change. Well it, everything else changed around us, it felt like. Yeah, it's strange. Like we're in Eastern time, which is the same time zone as Washington DC and uh New York City, which are like four hours east of here. Right? Oh, like more no, it's like twelve hours east of here. Driving time. Oh yeah, yeah. True. That's yeah. with the mountains and, and everything. Yeah, it's more like uh well, yeah, it's it's a long it's a way. Long it's like, like it's a big time zone, and we're way on the western edge of it. Um, right. And the area that we call the region, it's the part of Indiana that's close to Chicago, uh, was on Central Time. I don't even know what they do now. It's probably the same. They're still on Central Time, and probably. the rest of us were on Central Time half the year and Eastern Time the other half because everybody else changed time back and forth. There are a couple of places, like I think Arizona maybe still doesn't. And granted, we changed, I don't know, it's been almost 20 years ago now. It feels fairly recent, but it's really not. That's right. It obviously affects you the most if you live near the border. I, where I'm at now, am about five miles from Michigan. So when my dad still worked in Michigan, he had to deal with, you know, like being at work for seven, at seven o'clock half the year and six o'clock the other half of the year. Yeah, I mean, it was always the same name because he's also got off work at like three o'clock, right? Four o'clock, right? It's just this constant like chaos kind of thing. Of course, for me, because I'm a programmer and try to think about things logically and rationally, I'm like, Mm -hmm. there's no reason that the times have to mean anything, right? (laughs) Like the only I don't know if this is true, but my my perception is that we all want noon to be the middle of the day, right? And because the sun is constantly moving, we can't all use the same calendar. Otherwise, for us in Indiana, noon is always like six in the morning or something. And we have this sense of like the times that we get up and go to bed should be on this, you know, colloquial, the same thing, depending on where you are. But then instead, we have to deal with this like time math or or just make everybody refer to everything by some standard time, usually Eastern time, because so much goes on in the Eastern time zone. It would like, be it would be Greenwich, Greenwich Mean Time, wouldn't it? Well, right, Greenwich, Greenwich is the is the what they call Universal Time Code. Um, the, that's what's called the Earth Standard Time. Yeah, like that's the middle <laughs> because you know the English Whatever. put that clock up. Yeah. We, we don't have that in America. And, that's right. And but e- but even yeah. if it did that, it, wouldn't it be confusing though if because bedtime for you is four o'clock, but bedtime for him is three o'clock. So, or if it's, I, I set a meeting at three o'clock, which is sure it's three o'clock for everybody, but that doesn't mean that it's work time for everybody. No, I mean, all of those problems, we'd have all of those problems still. We just still. wouldn't have to do math to go, what time is that? Or to just always say, we're going to always refer to this regardless of what and then people have like i have two co-workers one of them is living in spain right now so he's mm-hmm. i think he's either utc or he he might be plus or minus one 
So he's like five or six hours off from me. And my other coworker is in Utah. So he's two hours behind us. Um, right. But, you know, because I was, I was just thinking about because I think he said something in our chat today. And it was just one of those like epiphanies. Like, yeah, that makes so much sense. It's just so dumb. If we were in space, there's no reason it has to be time based on a <laughs> high noon thing. But... But I start. I remember reading a science fiction book at one time, and they were talking. They kind of discussed this problem, and the idea was that it's not that it's high noon time; it's that it's peak in the middle of wake up time, so that everyone, so that if you know how many hours off somebody else is, you can have a relatable thing as to where they should be in their day. Sure, but but, yeah, but without it, that, you have no relatable thing. Like three o'clock, sure, that's a universal number for everyone, but is is that where is that in everyone's day? You'd have to find some other kind of system to figure out that in China three o'clock is nighttime. Mm. It, it, there's no intuitive math way to I, do that. But I there see is what a you're saying. So if you yeah. if I'm trying to set a meeting with somebody in England and I go, oh, let's can we set it right around three? But then I do the math and go, that's eight p.m. That's probably inconvenient for him. Like yeah. you you have the the sort of I don't want to say standard, but like colloquial ideas of when people are awake and when people are asleep. Um, Correct. That you, you sleep deal at with. night, you're awake during the day. In a in a situation like in space, I'm sure that it's handled in a way that, and I have no idea about this, so somebody who is actually in the Marines or the Navy could answer this probably better than I can, but the idea of like what kind of clocks they use on ships and submarines, right? They're moving sure. around all the time, and like in the case of a sub, they're probably pretty unaffected by the rotation of the sun or the rotation of the earth i should say and so they they just track time based on the work shifts yeah well or duty in this this book they they mentioned i wish i remember what book it was uh they mentioned that you know it's the same thing there is no sun or moon time it's just that noon is the middle of the workday you know uh, so shifts are 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., 3 p.m. to 11 p.m., 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., no matter what, that's independent. And then it's also that, that like, noontime was based on the standard Earth time, noontime. So they, right. that way they could still do math. Like, if they're contacting Earth at their noontime, that's also noontime in Greenwich. Mm. Right. They just made themselves always have that for that exact reason. So that you can always have a reference to other things. That's why we do times is to have the reference with everyone else everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Well, you just got a little bit of a time discussion here the first seven minutes of the show. I when yes, we we just went through that here this last weekend. When we we when Indiana used to not switch, um, we, I feel like I had this conversation far more regular. Like, you know, twice a year, there's an opportunity. It doesn't always happen, but, for, you know, at, at least there's an opportunity twice a year to have this conversation about why do we change the clock forward, and it's related to farmers and kids going to school and when it gets dark, and that's a whole different thing. Oh, for the daylight savings time. Daylight savings guess. time. But when, uh, before we changed, before Indiana changed, it was so much more disruptive. Like, you think about it now as like, Oh, you, you know, you turn your clock. But like I said earlier, you'd spend, like I had friends in Michigan, half the year we could make plans with no problem. The other half of the year you have to go, is that my time or your time? Well, Michigan time is better because we were high schoolers. We were dumb. But (laughs) uh, we're like, oh, this time we're on God's time down here. It's just nonsense. But um, yeah. And so then I, I, I feel like I talked about it more when I was younger. I was also even more passionate about certain things when I was younger. And I was like, this is it, a it was stupid more dis- thing. Disruptive. Why are we doing this 
turning the clock <laughs> and we got to change it back and just so we can this is just stupid well it, it, it was more disruptive as a kid for me because i knew that two, there were two things that affected me and that they're kind of the same thing it mm -hmm. always affected me with tv it's like we would always watch mm. dukes of hazard at dinner at six but then when the time changed it would be like at seven or five and that was too late so we wouldn't be able to watch it right and then the key thing is that i'd get off school out of school at three fifteen, and i could go watch transformers but then if it's like the fall time or or spring or something the transformers is on at two o'clock mm. and i can't watch it now you're stuck you know? watching like the old my little pony or something exactly i mean because yeah. because indiana changed right. we weren't always eastern right right so so that that was that that was the the consequence of that. So anyway, we 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 do a leap forward thing for the. I don't know. Is anybody in the world in in America at least in the U.S. not on a daylight savings time? Is there still? I think last I heard, time. Arizona was still not uh, observing, and maybe like Hawaii or something where yeah, you know, who knows? Yeah. What so they're so doing out every, there so ocean. everybody just most everybody just had this whole like leap forward, fall back experience type right. thing. Right. It's this one is always the. It's kind of a double-edged sword because it's. Uh, I love the fall one when you fall back because you clearly get like an extra hour in your day. You get an right. extra hour to sleep. Right. Everything's wonderful. You always wake up more refreshed. That that happened when I lived in Bloomington. That happened once when I was out at the bar with the guys, and we're like, "Oh, we get another hour." We were so yeah, right? exhausted. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and then we had the game weekend this weekend, so. All right. of a sudden, That's... we were in the middle of the thing, and we're like, "Man, we're tired. We're staying up. It's you know two in the morning. Oh no, wait! Now it's three in the morning, and we're still at two in the morning." Feeling, yeah, yeah. It ended up being seven in the morning. That's when we were done. I didn't I didn't intend to go so far afield with that rabbit trail, but that was <laughs> sort of the reason that I brought that up. We did ICG Con this past weekend. Mm -hmm. I was up. I I just I just shorthand it to past or just past five a.m. both nights, which I used to do a lot. Yeah, I, that's true. I don't. I mean. I'm regularly up till, you know, two or three, which seems like sure. a lot. But then, like, yeah. legitimately hanging out with people awake at 5 a.m., I'm like, this is Be Being mentally engaged. Yeah. 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 that That's the real thing, being mentally engaged with, not with sometimes with games or with people or with events. Right. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's way taxing, <laughs> way taxing. Um, All right. Well, so, I yeah, don't. I, I, I feel the same. I, yeah. I. I'm used to being up at one, two in the morning, not sure. all the time, but I can, I can do that. Fairly often. Times a week. Right. Right. But man, three days, three, four or five days in a row of, you know, plus to 4am, five in the morning. I remember when you came down this last week on, on Thursday, I started to work the next day and I just didn't realize that when, as we do, we t tend to get to talking, it's like two 30 in the morning. And oh, I still felt yeah. like, oh, we should be able to play a game now, right? And like, that's and then I true. The clock, that's true. Like, no, I should probably go to bed. We'll, no. we'll get into this more later, but it did also take us two and a half hours to watch Star Trek Picard. So, <laughs> yeah, that's right. We I'm do exaggerating like that. a little bit, but but very, right. but not too much, right? Well, let's um, before we before we get into any of our bigger topics, I want to take a little bit of time and talk about what games we played this past weekend and uh, mm -hmm. thoughts, impressions, reactions. Did you? Well, I know you played at least one new game, and probably a couple. Uh, I want to say that I played all new games. Oh, wow. Wow. I, uh, I can't think, think of one that I... That might be kind of true for me as well. I almost yeah. I almost got roped into playing Tyrants of the Underdark, which I think you played, or at least mm -hmm. started. I did not play. I started them to play. I and uh, I, I don't know if we've talked about this at length on, on the show, but that's... 
a game I'm okay with all the mechanics because it's a deck builder. Uh, mm-hmm. I just really don't like the theme and the art. And <laughs> so I I took the I took that opportunity to jump into the game of D and D, which I hadn't done before. Oh, the, uh, we've and, we've and talked it about it was not a typical D and D. No, I saw when I walked by it. We've talked a lot about RPGs and running RPGs and all that, and this was mostly mostly a different group. I mean, I knew a couple of the guys, um, Cody and uh, I think, and girls. I think Eric. Um, Mm-hmm. yeah um and so it was it was really cool it was um the setting was pink yeah the the whole map and board was all pink um maybe i'll put a picture up on the on the website so, so if you think of like ink like your printer printing out character sheets and printing out maps it was instead of having like the, your typical black or blue ink everything was pink yeah all of the all the handouts and paperwork were pink with fancy borders and stuff and the town well not really a town because it was a fair um Mm -hmm. had all little like print and fold little stand-up things like cardboard origami is what it was right kind of kind of like origami but if you imagine like you print out a little booth a little tent and then you cut it and fold it and tape it and stand it up on the board and again, I'll put a picture. It'll be better. This than is trying worn to by our it. friend Farrell. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and she made an amazing thing with this. Yeah, it was city. very like I looked at it and I was like, I'm not really sure what that is, but I'm more into that than I am playing Tyrants of the Underdark. So <laughs> I'm gonna play. I mean, it had, it had I'm a Ferris wheel D&D for D&D with right, yeah. with strangers. Yeah, and so the theme was uh, the Fay Fair, which mm-hmm. has the um, you know your what I think of as fairly typical Fae legend, uh, like Brigandune, and there are a couple others like that, mm-hmm. where once a year, or the the Celtic festival Samhain that happens right after Halloween, um, once one day a year, the veil between the plains thins, and the worlds of the Fae and what in D and D they call the material plane. <laughs> I didn't know, and I referred to it as yep. Midgard because because <laughs> okay, sure. I like I like mixing mythologies. Um, sure. Uh, anyway, that veil thins, and the Fey run this fair uh, for one day, and then it's it was like maybe just during the night or something. But we had a timer because if we're if you're still in the fair when the sun comes up, um, you either end up on the other side or you get violently kicked back out, and you could hit a tree and die or something i forget the consequences Mm -hmm. but uh so that was our that was our thing and so we spent a fair bit of time just going around and role-playing like she had npcs ready for all the different kind of stuff um i played a fighter knight so uh, the the all the characters were kind of two two classes i mean i think all of my um stats and stuff were all fighter sort of stats but you know i was like well what would this kind of character do in a fair i bet i you know i said uh i said is there one of those things with a big hammer and a pole oh, with yeah, a like bell a up at the top thing? a strongman thing yeah. and she was like yes there is and she had the little thing there with the guy uh, and the <laughs> um i think eric was playing the dwarf barbarian he followed me over there and we took turns he kept failing all his roles um, <laughs> And uh, so was the, was there a goal or was it just like inner, uh, enjoying the, the fair? 
it was that for a while and then a talent contest and then the prize for the talent contest goes missing and the people accuse us because we're all hanging out together and and whatever mm-hmm. and so we have to track him down and there's a little bit of um uh shape-shifting magic where like okay. he shifts to like the scrawls where he changes to look like somebody else and we have to find him um and uh, the way she did the characters was interesting too they were um I don't know if all character sheets were like this. These character sheets were different than I'm than I'm used to seeing. The all of the the uh, what are they called? So you have the top level things that are like strength, agility, uh intelligence, your attributes. Is that attributes? Okay. And then underneath that you have your I guess they're just skills. Um stuff like acrobatics, perception, sleight of hand. Right? Okay. You you with me? Yep, I'm with you. Um, on the character sheet, those were grouped into their attribute, which made it kind of strange for me to try and find. I'm like, where is it, uh, uh, perception again? Is that in wisdom or? <laughs> but right. anyway, the the basically the second and third pages of the character sheet were filled out. So all the stat, um, all the stat numbers were were chosen. The health was in there. Um, the, the, the skills and abilities. I mean, I was a fighter, so there's no magic stuff. Um, and then the back page with the equipment had, you know, your basic adventure kit and like, for me, a couple swords and a shield, all that was picked. And then the front page with like name, gender, height, eye color, um, alignment was picked, but she said we could change it if we wanted to. Um, and like big open boxes for backstory and, and, goals and and whatever else so even though we played with pre-made characters yeah we had a good chunk of time at the beginning to personalize them which was oh that's good which was pretty cool right um i played lady amelia deepwood very fantasy sounding name and she was (laughs) she was sort of a, a stoic honorable knight which meant i didn't have a ton to do during all of the other like goofy stuff we kept going to shops and buying different things um which i was proud of myself later when we got to the guy stealing the thing i remembered that one of the vendors who stole who sold jewelry had a necklace of showing and she had um or amulet of showing she had cards printed out for all the items so we could look at them and i looked at them and i was like i'm like when you put this amulet on it dispels any disguises or or magical transformations like what's the (laughs) point of that and then later we encounter this guy and he looks just like somebody else and i'm like ah it's like hey uh, dm can i can i go back to the shop and and buy buy something (laughs) which uh yeah but it was right that was a lot of fun it's uh you know i don't i don't have a ton of experience playing D D D and it's always uh a little bit of a of a gamble playing with new people right you, you don't know, know right yeah you don't know what kind of game they run or what kind of you know i have a famous story i always tell of playing pathfinder at gen con and the young guy dming you know seemed seemed to me just the kind of dm who delights in abusing and torturing his not abusing and torturing but like he wiped our whole party and seemed happy right. about it and i was like this isn't the kind of person i want to play with i don't you know, like this us fun. us versus them thing like i'll play warhammer or some miniatures game if i want to just straight up fight like this, right. this is boring 
Right. The, the uh, so I mean that looked really really neat. I remember walking by it several times when she came and she immediately starts setting up and um, she was feral is like prepared is the only yeah. thing I can think of. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean a, a lot of I think a lot of DMing is you know being able to dodge and weave and make things yeah, up improvise and impromptu stuff but mm-hmm. man she seemed prepared for everything yeah right? i mean everything i i told the i said that about the the, the thing with the hammer and the bell and she was pre- prepared for that um and right? yeah it was like she either was prepared for everything that anybody suggested or was able to 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 roll with it and improvise in a way that i couldn't tell the difference yeah, that she just was so good at it that she did it right. Right. Yeah, that which which is I think a pretty darn good sign of a really good GM. So mm-hmm. it, it it I every time I walked up there in that that room, there were everyone seemed engaged and entertained. And I know a lot of times with D and D, especially role playing things, you can be very, you know, lose track and someone sitting off and not doing anything. But everyone seemed to be doing stuff and having a really good time. So that yeah, and we had. Pretty, we had like six or seven players, so it was yeah. really. Uh, sh- they did a thing. Um, she and I think her husband helped her out with it. Uh, they had tickets, right? Like Willy oh, Wonka right. golden like tickets, that. except they were pink. And you know, they went around seeing, sort of feeling out who wanted to play, and had these tickets. Like he had them in his hand, and he was like, "We've got three more tickets to D anD D if you." If you want, oh, so you, yeah, you get like I get the, it now. The, peop, the people who are already in a game, like they can't play, and so not everybody gets to play because obviously there are like thirty people there. But yeah, right. you you pick who gets to play in this really fun, you know, sort of pseudo immersive way, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, it did, it, it did. That was I saw the tickets and I saw pictures from the tickets at least, and I I, I just other little props, but I like I like that. I like yeah, the, they uh, had like a like a little. F- uh, brochure kind of thing that looked like a flyer describing yep. the the uh, the fair and uh, yeah that was so really good cool. so good well that so, that was that was one game right yeah yeah so what um d- what did you have anything new you played that you particularly uh, liked or have have comments well, I, on I, yeah two years ago I bought a, as I do at Gen Con buy games that I want to play and then don't get to play them right um my. I, Buying and purchasing games are a very thought out process. I only have so many much space. I don't. I can't just you know willy nilly buy stuff. I don't have always people to play it with. You know, it's right. just games are a thing, and and there's price. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I'm at Gen Con, I like to buy a whole bunch of games, um, but still I take those things into consideration. And and a lot of it is, can I be played with two players, and um in a reasonable amount of time and Sydney would like to play. Would it be something that she would also be able to and like to play um, so that the two of us can play it. Um, and this game I bought, it's the X-Men revolution game. I bought two years ago at Gen Con and I, and it broke all those rules. It was like, it's, <laughs> at least it says 90 minutes, which is like, you know what that means? Three hours. Right. With uh, new players and, and with interruptions. Yeah, three to and it, exactly. And it was like three to five players. So I couldn't even play it. Unless it was, you know, I think so. Who even my friends we play every week, getting them to sit and play for a three-hour game is, you know, a hard enough thing anyway. It's a, sell it's not to mention comic that, books I, and stuff. Is that the game with the dice? I mean, it, it had more than dice, but I, you yes. played it in the in the little room there. Yes, um, yes, yeah. The dice were your stats, which is very cool. 
Um, I mean, yeah, I don't want to go into particulars of it, but it it was it, I, the what made it cool was that it had when I I was reading the instructions and it was it's very deceptive. The book looked like it was only like eight pages, maybe, mm-hmm. um, and very thin. It like this is not a good, not a big instruction book. It's great, but the, it was dense. It was like really small font mm-hmm. and hardly any pictures, so it was just like super dense. And I was like, oh man, they they tricked me. They tricked me. Um, and then it was also super verbose. So it wasn't one of those like, uh, to see who goes first, roll a dice. It was like, to see who goes first, roll 3d6. Whoever has the highest, the two highest people will then roll off and you'll use 4d6 and then take the lowest number. And it was like, there were just stupid rules for stupid things, mm. right? That were just too well spelled out in case for every contingency. So yeah. reading it was very difficult and very disheartening. Like this is not going to be a fun game. Right. And e- there were multiple phases of a turn and which my, Oh man. And each phase was like its own game. I was like, Oh, this is not going to be, I was just not looking like it was going to be a good thing. And then when we played it, it was extremely fun. And every one of those phases were designed to be, have everyone be engaged. Like, okay. One of the biggest problems with long games is that you take your turn and then you're done. In this game, everything was mostly simultaneous turns and you are talking about it together. So like, like a bidding the example of that is a, in, in any game where you have bidding, mm-hmm. you know, a, a card comes out and we all have to bid on it. Right. That's not one person taking their turn. That's everybody taking their turn and kind of playing each other at the same time. Okay, Sure. And, and this game had several systems that were like that. They one one of the system was a bidding system, and the next one was a mission system. We were all fighting against in an arena against a bad guy, you know. And yeah. then the, the other one was um, drafting cards, so we're all involved in that. Um, so it, it was like, that ended up being super entertaining. And even though it was long, none of us felt like it was long because we just were all engaged the whole time. So. Mm. I was really happy. It does itself no service by having that horrible rules book. Rule book. Yeah. Yeah. It It sounds like some of the, some of the issues that I had early on with um, the Lord of the Rings card game. Oh yeah. Talk about that game a lot, but that does the same kind of a thing. It was fairly impenetrable to get going with all its phases and all of its rules. Uh, Uh, So then I, I, I enjoyed that one. You and I got to finally got to play Arkham. Yeah, I was. Show I was just going to mention that in the in the context of of uh, uh, fantasy flight and the rule systems, I noticed this, and I've probably mentioned it before. In um, the Arkham Horror card game, is this way? Marvel Champions is this way, and so is um, Lord of the Rings: Journeys in Middle Earth, which is not a card game. Um, they've started doing this thing where the game comes with two books. Uh, mm-hmm. In the case of Arkham, it has three because one is the uh, the book for the campaign, right? The the scenarios. Yeah. And in the case of Journeys of Middle Earth, the campaign stuff is in the app. So they only need two books. Um, the first book is the quick start or the how to play. It has the setup, the turn order, what actions you can do in your turn. It helps that they simplified the the turns and that sort of thing. But they're like, you can attack and you can move. And when you move, here's what you do. And when you attack, here's what you do. And when the enemies attack, here's what they do. And then they have a second book. That's just a, a glossary. It's like an encyclopedia or just a reference of terms. And they're in there 
alphabetically, right? So they're not, you wouldn't just go through and read that when you like, you know, they used to publish those things together, right? So it would be right. the turns and there would be all this detail and then they'd have to put the different modifier texts right in the middle of the description of the turn order. So you're flipping back and forth. Yep. And then to find an answer to a question when you go, you know, what does ranged mean in this game? Well, then you had to go to the uh, glossary in the back and go, okay, that's page 32. And that's over here. It's right in the middle of the, but this way with separate books, you're like ranged. Okay. Two S T R. There we go. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and have your answer. So that was, that was nice, but we did, we did play um, Arkham Horror. I'd played the first two of the three basic scenarios um, right. on Tabletop Simulator. And then I set up two of the characters and, uh, and we set it up and played. And what did you, what'd you think of it? Uh, that was fun. I, I, a couple things that made it fun was that it didn't seem like it took long at all. It, I mean, I say that, but a lot of the systems feel very familiar. Sure. Obviously. I mean, that that's one of the things that, uh, we mention this all the time and I won't go into it again, but you know, being able to speak the same language when you go into something, yeah. you know, if, if, if you, if you're going into a conversation with somebody and you, you want to have a conversation and they speak French and you speak English, then there's got to be this like Rosetta stone in the, in the middle to say, this means this, this means this, this means this, but right, if you right. walk in and you talk the same language, things go so much faster and you're already having a conversation soon. So yeah. you and I could sit down and you'd say, this is the Lord of the Rings, you know, locations, this is the champions mechanic that does that, you know, right. you're like, Oh, and then we set it up and this is money or whatever it might be and like, okay, okay, okay. You can only have three equipment slots in here and, and hands are two different hands. Like I know, I get it. I know those things like, Oh, right. I, right. I see. You've so either it made it from some other, from one of the other, uh, fantasy flight games or, you know, from video games go like, okay, you got two hands. Yeah. You can wield two, you can carry, you can equip, two one-handed things or one two-handed thing yeah and, and you and you could just say things like there's sanity there's there's two like life meters there's life and there's sanity and you're like okay i i get what you're saying there's two pools and i understand that right. without having to be confused so that made it be quicker right i didn't have to yeah, wrestle with concepts of okay what do i do next and what does that mean and and how do i go oh i just know right yeah uh, so that because of that, the game went pretty quickly and we could just go from thing to thing and we saw the goal. And, and what I, I liked about it also a lot is I like the story. Of course, I'm me and I read every flavor text that there is. Yeah. Um. So it and it was very well, very well crafted in that every time you turn something over for everything, it made sense to the story that you were, you were telling. Yeah, it's very narrative in a way that um the, the Lord of the Rings game, even though the Lord of the Rings game is saturated with lord of the rings lore it doesn't it doesn't factor into the gameplay as much like the the scenarios sort of do but the cards that you play to build your deck don't have to at all like you can make bilbo steward of gondor which doesn't make any sense um, <laughs> right yeah but in this game it's it's not like you're playing as a person and the the main thing that uh that i took from it after playing both this and marvel champions on um on tabletop simulator is that um th of the three this one has the best multiplayer experience and the the multiplayer experience in in lord of the rings is not bad either because there's so much like ranged uh 
attacking and kind of things. But we've talked about this probably on the air as much as we've talked about it in general. But we've talked about this problem with deck building games um, and a lot of kind of card strategy games where there's very little player interaction, which can be fine depending on what you want to play. Um, but for like a card game, there's so much concentration and there's so much decision making that if you play a game like the one we talk about a lot is Ascension, it was, the, yeah. that was the first deck building game I saw. I was like, oh, this is like, you know, uh, um, it's like Magic the Gathering with no homework and no fighting, which, you know, appealed to me yeah. at the time. But you really just are, you know, up to four people playing your own game, playing solitaire. Right. You don't interact in any in any kind of meaningful way. Um, and in a co-op game, that can be the same, too. Like uh, um, Legendary is that way. Yeah. Like you can and you should interact and it'll go better if you do. But um there's nothing there's nothing forcing you to um where there's not really in this one either but i think because it's so narrative because you're sort of like not dungeon crawling but you're you know it's a it's if you know anything feels, about i feel definitely feels like a not dungeon crawling but there you're on a path there's it's a narrative experience it's a it's a mystery uh detective kind of story which i think is usually the theme of the arkham uh cthulhu you know call cthulhu kind of uh lovecraftian universe i am not super super familiar with that universe it's very horror very um kind of uh uh often kind of hopeless in its theme which is what put me off of this game for a long time Mm -hmm. um but i do really like I like the gameplay of it. I mean, we played on the easiest difficulty, um, but it still was a little bit of a challenge. I think when I played it solo, I was on normal and I just, just barely made it. Like when that uh, boss pops out, I was like, oh man, I have one sanity left and Roland only has five, can only go up to five. And I had four already. And I'm like, this dude hits me once and I'm dead. Uh, (laughs) Right. But, you know, did manage to like, uh, you know, cobble together the right set of actions and assists and, uh, and all of that to survive. But, um, and, and people, this people, the uh, fans of the show will know that we are fans of fantasy flight in general. Mm-hmm. And we could do the heap, the same kind of praise on this game <laughs> as well, just because, you know, they fantasy flight is a company and has engines of marketing and people who sales and do that kind of stuff. Sure. And they're definitely trying to make money, but they clearly have, a team or teams of designers who love games and mechanics and all the cool stuff. And then they enjoy stories and, you know, so they, they really, all of their games do the best that it feels like to live up to whatever the sources that they're doing. So the mechanics of this game could, is easily, you know, relayed to what it's like. I said, there's game mechanics, right? Right. And it's and it's like, for example, Ticket to Ride is a mechanical game that you can. Yes, it has a skin of trains, but it's just lines and dots. It's not really. Yeah. Right. It's got some themes, but it's kind of put on it. And yeah, that's a common uh, Euro. Euro uh, thing. Right. Baldur's style. Gate, same yeah. kind of thing. But this game, the, I mean, Fantasy Flight does the same kind of things where they use their systems. Right. 
and skin mm-hmm. them, but they do really go out of their way to make sure that it makes sense for the most part. The Lord of the Rings one you cited was probably a not a good example, but um, the Lord of the Rings, on the other side, the Lord of the Rings stuff does very important things of like trying to make you feel like the shadow is coming. And that's, yeah, you know, there's they're, that they're, tension. The, the stories are very narrative. The, yeah. the, the world is immersive. I mean, this is the Lord of the Rings was probably one of the first co-op card. I mean, I say that I have no idea. I'm sure there are cooperative ways to play Pokemon and magic, but you know, card games were always collectible and they were always duels or, you know, maybe you do some three or four player commander or something like that. But you know, you always bought the cards this way with these random booster packs because that got people in the store, you know, it's a money machine. Um, you know, which is great for the long term, like magic's been going for 50 years or whatever. Um, but they said, you know, Nate French and Fantasy Flight said, what if we do this thing where you can buy all the cards and you play together instead of instead of dueling? And also you can play single player like it was all new. And every iteration, maybe not every iteration, but like Arkham Horror took that, took some of those mechanics and simplified it and made it more narrative made it more rpg and then marvel champions took it took it another way and made it more you know superhero and uh you know got some of those some of those elements there what do you how do you feel about and this is a well i don't know whatever about the difference between buying a whole game and buying well I'll put it in three camps because I like to categorize Mm -hmm. things into three different things. Like you have your standalone game. That's just, it's this game and it's always this game and it's only this game. This is mostly older stuff. Like, I don't know, chess, but there are some, there's some board games that never get expansions, right? Cause they're just their own thing. Like twilight Imperium. Yes. They revise it and republish it, but it's still just the base game. There's so much to the game that, they don't need to ever have expansions. Um, yeah. Same thing maybe with pandemic, right? Like pandemic yeah. is the whole map and it's the thing. And that's, and that's, that's it. The game. Mm-hmm. Then there are games where you have what appears to be a full game. And then they put an expansion in that, you know, makes it something extra, right? Like, um, yeah. uh, uh, settlers of Catan, right? Like there's basic settlers and, when I played it, there were two expansions. By the time you got to the second expansion, it was almost a different game. There were so many more mechanics, and they've added like twelve expansions since then. So I don't even know what it's like now. Yeah. Um, and then these living card games, and there are a handful of others like them. And I think I've said this when we've talked about this previously. Um, I think Fantasy Flight has started doing a thing where they make the what they call the core box or the yep. beginner set something smaller than than a full game than a like 50 60 dollar game they're bringing it close to like 30 35 and then yep. you know the expansions are 15 and 25 depending on um how much is in it but it's this intention of if you if you play this game you're going into a journey like you're starting to watch a TV show or something yeah. How do you feel about that? So that's a good question and a good topic because there, 
there's a couple reasons for it. And it's also there. You, we can see parallels in what's going on even today with uh, such like um, EA. I think it's EA or doing the Square Enix is what it is. Square Enix doing the mm. uh, Final Fantasy VII re- re-release that, mm, where they mm-hmm. release it just like part of the game for $20 and then you yeah, buy the next part. I heard about for, that. For $10. Yeah. Um, so this is the same kind of way. Fantasy Flight uh, at its beginnings or at least when I was aware of it was uh, known for long, big, involved games that cost over $100 to buy or or at least over $60 to buy. Sure. Like they, they, they did were, the Game of Thrones game. Yes. Obviously, the World Twilight Warcraft, Imperium. The Starcraft. Yeah. The, yeah. So... It, but well, you got everything that you could want, want in those games. They were, you know, like all the, the fantasy flight things we were just talking about. You know, good immersion, good stuff. They had a system for, are you a warlock? Okay, we've got to figure out exactly what a warlock is in World of Warcraft and make every mechanic for it for that. You know, and then you get every miniature and everything. And it's they did it, right? But it cost ridiculous amounts of money. It was so much. Right. So, I and they... Not only were they known for that, I'm sure it was difficult to, they were a niche market, I guess is the thing. Only certain people could get into it, could afford yeah, it, Yeah, I mean, could for, play it. for everyone involved, it's a big investment, right? It's yeah. a big investment for the designers to, yep. you know, do all that. It's a big investment for the publishers to publish mm-hmm. and produce all the content. It's a big investment for the customers to buy it. And then it's a big investment for the player. You know, you bust out. A, the gigantic box of fourth edition twilight imperium and people are like uh that's oh a gosh. lot even if they right. don't know and if they do know they're like yeah i'm gonna that's have a lot to, <laughs> i'm gonna have to be home in five hours i i can't start that yeah yeah so so but but that that being said all of their things were definitely high quality and good mm-hmm. stuff and it was a good they were Absolutely. good games so it, it's almost one of those well how do we how do we make this for lack of a better term more accessible and I can see it in the, in the, uh, the at a certain point in Fantasy Flight's tenure, they started this whole thing that you're you're discussing here, where they put a large core part of the game out, and then they will release more of the game later for an increased price. So eventually, when you buy the the Lord of the Rings, you know, living card game, you're spending over a hundred fifty dollars, if not more, if you buy it right. all. Right, yeah, if you buy but it you can fully play it and enjoy the experience for less time and less effort and things for thirty dollars, right? Initially, yeah. And you don't, and and I I really enjoy that for all of the reasons of that, but it, I most enjoy it for this the fact that I have options. That if I buy a thirty dollar game and I don't like it, I'm okay with that. If I bought a hundred and fifty dollar game and I don't like it, I'm really upset. You've- you feel bad, yeah. Yeah. So, and and then if I, you know, if I liked it a lot, I get something too excited. Ooh, a new expansion comes out, and the Hoth expansion comes out, and we run out and <laughs> get it. You know, um, Twin Shadows or something for Imperial Assault, and right. it just makes it more and more exciting when that happens. Or even like, oh man, I'm just not into dwarves. I'm gonna drop. I'm gonna skip the dwarf expansion. Right. You know what I mean? So it, it gives you so much more options that. And you in Fantasy Flight has been pretty good about again making those things affordable. So, in the case of um, like the Star Wars Living Card Game, you know, if if you didn't want to do the the Hoth expansion, I mean, you, they put out Hoth expansions. They were only like fifteen dollars, right? They or a, a small amount. Yeah, that's how the others um, both are. I assume that it's true fairly m- much across the board uh, in 
in uh, Lord of the Rings and in Arkham, they have big box. And actually, um, Legendary does this too, only their big boxes are bigger because it's a different type of game. But they'll have a a box that's three quests in Lord of the Rings or scenarios in, uh, I don't think they're actually called scenarios, like yeah. chapters or something. Whatever the word is, it's three games right where we yeah. play just one of the three that are in the in the core set and those will be like 25 bucks and then they'll have standalone modules that are yeah like right around 15 it's about the size of a normal deck of cards it'll be like 50 some ish yeah. cards yeah. yeah and some player cards some scenario cards and uh and yeah you're you're getting everything you know it's like I mean, magic is this way, except I feel like magic does more with like change, like constantly trying to change the game and add new, new mechanics and new where the living card games don't do as much of that. I think because of the like story and narrative elements of it. Yeah. And And, and, and this way they they get to make a system and it just works. I mean, I, I appreciate that part from a mechanical, logical mind type thing. It's like their first thing they do is make a quality mechanical system so that it's expandable and, you know, workable. That's like their groundwork. And then they like, okay, we've done that. Now we've got a whole team who I would assume I'd love to go like tour fantasy flight, right? That'd be like, it's like some people like to go tour breweries and stuff. I'd love to, to tour fantasy flight, go up to go up to Minnesota. Yeah. And, and, and watch them and see like, Oh, they've got a team who's just like, okay, this is the mechanics how do we write that with story and, and, you know, because there's mechanics and then there's like individual cards, right? right. Like say like, like Gandalf, like, like, okay, you can make a card that does four, 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 four. He comes out and goes out like, okay, let's make that a Gandalf card. Or, you know, we, here's the, the structure of the underlying system. Yeah. It, it has to make, how sense. do we make Aragorn? He, oh, he would be a four one in this system. You know? Yeah, it has to make sense both mechanically in terms of like what it costs versus what it does, and also uh, thematically. Thematically, right. and they do that, right? They they make sure of that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan of it. Uh. Recently, I also play. Not recently. I mean, my my MMO of choice in the last several years has been uh the Elder Scrolls game. Um. Mm-hmm. I, I call it an MMO, but I clearly play it single player. Um. <laughs> right. But but the uh. It does that. It's it, it's very big like that. You buy a core box and you can play the game and that's the thing. And then they have these big box expansions where they're like a full continent and it's a whole thing. And then they have, mm. you know, and that's say $25, $30. And then they have $5 to $10 expansions where they're just like a, a storyline, you know, and you can pick and choose what you want to do, which I... That's the same kind of thing happening here. And I, I really like it. I, I will say that not everybody does it well. Some people do things where they're like, your core box actually doesn't really have enough to play except for a tutorial, you know, sure. board game. It's just got the, the beginning. Or if, the, if the core box is too expensive, it's right. a little bit, to me, it's it's a little bit of the same sort of psychology and whatever this whatever this says about me. But I, for a long time, have said, and I've, changed with about this a little bit in the last year or so where i'll i'll watch an episode of a long tv show and then finish with shorter tv shows but if i'm trying to decide if i don't know 
what I'm going to watch before I sit down. If I'm, mm-hmm. you know, on Netflix or whatever. I don't know if I said that before I start talking. Um, <laughs> I will more readily put on a half hour show, what I call a half hour show. You're right, like 22 minutes or whatever. And I will watch that for an hour and a half. I'll watch four or five episodes uh, before I will commit to an hour show, whether that's an HBO like full that's hour funny. show, especially if it's a full hour HBO or Netflix show, or the, your more traditional like 43, 44 minute show. Um, I'm just like, I sit down and I look at that runtime and I'm like, uh, I don't want to commit to that. I'm being yeah. a little bit ridiculous, but it's, it's the same kind of idea. Like um, if I don't know, for example, they put out Gloomhaven, right? Mm-hmm. And it had just four of the, of the character. Maybe it had eight and you could only play four of them or something. And then it had, you know, half a dozen missions and right. it had, you know, a quarter of the amount of little monsters and, and stand-up things that it had and not as many map tiles. And it just said chapter one and it was 40 bucks. Um, I mean, I would have bought it almost right away. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. There's also something, I mean, in that, in that case, there's some sort of appeal to having this gigantic box with all this stuff in it. And I did buy Gloomhaven eventually anyway, but I waited for it to uh, uh, be on sale. Yeah, there so there are definitely st- that still a, things out there that are, are filling that old too. Fantasy Flight niche, and probably Fantasy Flight still has some games they do like that. But I, w- I would assume that this model is much economically viable from all of the reasons that you had said before, like you know, from investment and yeah, I mean you know. every every you know, there's probably still a big upfront investment of of you know development and research, <clears> but then and then you are sort of committed to doing it long term. It's like do you know, making a movie versus making a TV show, uh, you know, like in the case of Lost where you have to fill in content in the middle because you the fans want or the networks want you to keep making the Yeah, that's the thing also the about Fantasy Flight there is that you is that they when you put out a Star Wars living card game, you know they're going to have expansions, right? Like yeah. if I buy this that's and the, I like it that's There's the contract everyone's agreeing to. They're like, we're going to buy into this game and you're going to give us stuff. You know, I remember going on the Reddit and they're like, uh, the, the Reddit for the Lord of the Rings LCG. And they're like, are they, are they going to discontinue this game? I'm getting into it and I really love it. And I hope they make more. And it'd be, you know, it'd been going for almost 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The, the same. I mean, I think some of the people changed hands, but the company fantasy flight is con- committed to, uh, you know, the game's been going for so long that they publish the packs and expansions in waves. I don't know yeah. if you encountered that before, but um, I think it started in 11, so whatever, nine years. And mm-hmm. I think they are getting close to finishing it, like they've done all they can do. There is only so much official <laughs> Tolkien lore. Yeah. And when I first got into it, people were like, uh, these are the ones that are in print that they're selling right now. It's these couple big expansions and this handful of small ones, and then... In a month or so, they're going to drop these ones off the end and pick up these these new ones again. And they go in cycles, so stuff doesn't permanently go out of print. Um, but for long stretches of time, there'll be certain things you just can't buy because they don't have the um, the resources to keep it all in print. And stores don't have physical space to carry inventory for an entire you know library of a game that size. It ends up being something more massive than uh 
um, Gloomhaven. Yeah, and and uh, it's, it's it's just it's just good. It's just yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, just different. It's just I mean, you know, for for whatever you want at, at whatever time, like the two Arkham and Lord of the Rings are are they're both living card games, but they're very different. I see Lord of the Rings as more of one that I'll play by myself, and I see Arkham as one that's better to play with one or two other people because you're experiencing the story together. You're like, Oh, we're going to, I had already done it when we played. And so that wasn't, it wasn't as much fun, but it was still sort of fun for me to see like it go through it again. And you're like, Oh no, we're down the hallway and we got to find, there's this barrier. We got to get through. Like it's, it's this sort of shared narrative experience. Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that long way to get around is that I liked, I liked that game and that that's, I could see that, that's what that is, and this was clearly just a a taste. I mean, like it, right. it, it clearly almost felt like a little bit of a tutorial, not tutorial, but guided easy first mode. You know, sure. which is which is good, and that that made me feel good about it, and wanting to play more, and wanting to see where this adventure is taking me. Which was which that was probably the most surprising thing about it was that you know when I did the game, I knew that it was just the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, even when I play Lord of the Rings, I don't always get that that's there's a long narrative happening here or right, right or um, other stuff. So the, the, where this one seems to have really hit its its stride is in the storytelling from module to module type type thing. Um, so yeah. That's, and that's good. And we definitely played on the easiest difficulty. There are at least sure. four different difficulties that affect the um this game's version of dice, which is a bag full of little tokens that yeah. are most of which are number modifiers. And yeah. so like in the, in the mode we played, the lowest modifier was a minus two, but if you play on the hardest difficulty, there are some that are like minus five and minus six. So what ends up happening is you just fail your checks way more often and you know, will potentially die because you're not getting through stuff fast enough. I knew yeah. that between it being our first time playing or, your first time playing and other stuff going on. Like they were playing liars dice in the next room, you know, being loud. I'm like, let's just, let's just put it on easy and experience yeah. a story. I don't want us to fail the first mission. And, you know, yeah. And, 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 you know, something like Lord of the Rings didn't really get that done well because they, in their starting pack, they put like super easy, incredibly impossibly hard. And then normal in their, yeah, their they, starting box. So, if so you, it, it became discouraging somewhat right off the It's bat. not as obvious, and there are basically three settings. You can play normal, you can play, you know, slightly easier, or at least not as mean, as shut up, yeah. sit down guys like to say. Or later they come back and, and publish what they call nightmare mode, which is just the enemy cards, but they're all presumably harder. Like, I've never had any interest in nightmare mode like normal mode is hard enough for me. yeah 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 right right that, yeah. that's so, for and, somebody and I, who and has I, just played and when you're when you're wanting to play a fun game you don't you don't always want to start off with you know in nightmare mode so so anyway yeah that that, that was a fun game i played i played ruby i'm a big fan of the rwby the anime the show uh, so yeah. the show so i it was fun and it was it had great neat unique kind of gameplay that i, I had not seen before and i liked that a lot um yeah. And the characters had a lot of flavor. I played, um, sure. Oh, uh, Super Dungeon Explorer, which I'd played before once, maybe, but I don't remember. And it's okay. fun. It's, it's very video gamey. It's kind of themed on an anime video game, so with miniatures. 
so that was good. Uh, yeah, I I, I I also played Ruby. I remember I was pretty tired by the time I played mm-hmm. that, but I did really like to, to go back to comparing the different uh, living card games. Um, I really liked the way that they brought everyone in on everybody's turn. Um, yeah. Oh it yeah. Made yeah. it as a as a co op game. It made it very interactive in a way that a lot of co op games sometimes fail to do. Yeah, yeah. When, when, even though one person this round is clearly the highlight player, everyone is doing a thing to help out, and yeah, it was, that was fun. Hey, I I know we kind of mentioned it, but we didn't get to talk about it much. Is that there was a a game that I have played ad nauseum way a lot years and years ago, 10, 15 years ago, but you just had been introduced to the, to recently was Red Dragon Inn. Uh, Red how do you feel Inn. about that? That's a game that I saw. You know, I mean, I've seen. It's been around for years. I saw it at the store, you know, Game Preserve and whatever. And probably, you know, somebody told me, like, oh, we don't play that. It's, you know, it's not, it's okay, but it's a, you know, for us, it's like Ticket to Ride or... Um, probably, C- yeah. Catan or something. It's it's old and played out, right? Kind of yeah. Kind of deal. And so people were playing that, and I don't remember... I went through a couple of spaces of time this weekend where a couple games were happening, but I was never in the room when a game started. And so yeah. I was just like playing games on my phone or whatever. But yeah. like that was starting up and I was like, oh, I'm going to check this game out. I've heard about this. And it's this crazy, goofy kind of <laughs> fantasy poker, right? There's no right. poker. Like I call it poker, but it has this thing where you do stuff on your turn and you you try to uh you know eliminate the other players till you're you're the last man standing um and everybody has their like three health bars actually it's similar to when you said the thing about health and madness in they have different words for health and madness in arkham mm-hmm. but i i i call them health and madness cuz that's what they're using in uh in wow right now there yeah. there's a lot of old god stuff in wow and they're doing a health and madness thing but um the health bars in Red Dragon Inn are kind of like that too, except they go toward each other. I said it's like the radiation in Fallout, where it comes off your max HP. Yeah, um, it's, it's kind of neat because you could you could be really drunk and hardly hurt, or really hurt and hardly drunk. You know I mean, right, right, or middle middle. You know, yeah. And there's there's enough like sort of random chaos where somebody could just pull something and then pull the next thing and be out like in the first round or two. Sure. Um, And so it's so like, I normally don't like elimination mechanics, right? But the game Mm -hmm. is so silly and like poker, it has the same, you know, sort of elimination goal that um, I didn't really mind it. It's not like risk where, you know, you have, everybody has a strategy and you're working toward it and you go and somebody gets wiped out and now they just have to hang out and, well, I don't know. We didn't have phones back then, but like, play on their phone for the next 40 minutes while the game finishes like right that's no good but yeah. this game if you're if you're doing it right and people are paying attention um you're gonna go through it and people are gonna get knocked out like they'll get knocked out and in 10 minutes it'll be done and you're like cool let's get something else going or or let's play again or, or play um, it again yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, the i think i think you know now hearing you talk and talk and remembering mechanics and stuff of that game i think what happens is that it's a it's a fun it's a fun game and that's important is that it's fun when you're playing it 
And then, and then when you start to like, okay, how do I think about the strategy of this game? You start to realize that, that either there's not a lot of strategy because there's a lot of randomness to it, or there you've, you found, you quickly find out that, oh, this is how you win every time. Like, Mm. you know, you, you just team up with two other people at the table and all of you kill everyone else. You know, <laughs> sure, it's, it, sure. And, and, it, and it's, that's just, it, it's kind of like those, you can play it by taking the fun out of it and win. And, sure. And, and that's counterintuitive to the fun. Yeah. It's like, um, I remember way back in the day, somebody saying that about apples to apples, like before cards against humanity, obviously. And yeah. he was like, he was like, yeah, this, this game became fun when I realized that it's not really a game and there's no point in trying to win because there's no way that you can try to win. Yeah. Because it's, it's fun is the point of the game. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's, that was, that's kind of red dragon in. Yes. It's got, it's gamey. It does have games for sure. But the point is just to have fun while you're doing it. And it is, it seems to be a somewhat of a social game and it's, it's intentionally cartoony, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, my the cards my conclu- are thematic. My conclusion on it was I looked it up on Amazon and eBay a little bit. It it does seem like people who buy it don't don't get rid of it. Like they keep it. <laughs> I can see that it's it's still fairly expensive, and there are a lot of boxes. And so I'm like, I if I just get the core box, like that's only four characters. That's not enough. I want to play. <laughs> that's with my not enough, right? And it so, was when it launched. <laughs> it was when it launched, right? And so my. Where where I landed on it was that was a fun game. I think when Gen Con rolls around, I'm gonna look in the consignment store because I feel like I see copies of it every year, and I'm like, mm-hmm. what is this? I don't really know. And see if I can get a copy. Of course, that assumes that Gen Con actually happens and doesn't get canceled because of uh, coronavirus. But right, right, yeah, that's the, the. By the way, side note on that coronavirus thing: every time I see it in the paper, it says the novel novel coronavirus and and i read it in the sentence and when i'm reading it i say it's a novel coronavirus oh is that is that what it is i mean i thought yeah. that was intentional it's like oh something's novel like something's interesting Th- that's it's this, that's right. it's this notable epidemic we're no, talking that, that's about. that's how i, I, I read epidemic, it but it's like but the novel coronavirus it's this it's, it's this novel virus we're talking about <laughs> right right that just it, it's so funny every time i read that like oh yeah that that's not what it means uh, but you know, anyway, um, yeah, that's it. That's right. It's a consignment store would be a perfect time to look for something like that. And, um, I thought I remember that it actually has, um, supply and demand issues, mainly the like, sl- I don't even know if Slugfest makes it anymore type thing. Oh, so, wow. like people still want, I remember people wanting it, but they're like, no, that's out of print. They don't do anymore. And you're like, oh, but it's very popular and everyone is still looking for it. And they were just like on to other things, you know. Like we we did five hundred expansions and we're done, you know. And they I guess they cranked them out all pretty quickly, I think, because they were making tons of money off of them. Uh, so that that might be a a thing. Uh, yeah. So yeah, if it's out of print, that could definitely definitely explain. Uh, the other thing we did this past weekend, just briefly, I want to because we're running long on time here, mm-hmm. um, is I did get to play around with the Oculus Quest. That oh, you mentioned yeah, yeah. I last we, week. Did, we did that early. Um, we did that, yeah, we had the two not in a high pressure headsets. environment. The um the Star Trek game was good. It was it was pretty fun. The Star controls are a little a little weird because it's so it's so much hands and you know you're using these weird controller things and I kept yeah. bumping into the desk. But uh, and, and you um, kept and and it does. 
feel like it needs some fine tuning on how you pull menus up and do things, right? Yeah, a lot of the controls felt just a little like if I were playing a game on a PC, I would have definitely like changed some of the controls because a yeah, lot of them yeah. felt a little the key a little and stuff. a little awkward. Um that was good. The the Star Wars game was so like immersive doesn't even feel like the right word for it. <laughs> Not enough right, to, right like yeah. like I've played um MMOs that felt immersive and those are times where like uh way back in when I was playing WoW in like 2008 or something like I took my character a place that you're not supposed to be able to access but I got there by swimming so like my character went out into the ocean and swam for like I don't know solid 20 minutes or something it took me to get all the way up there and when I got back on on land I the player felt like I was wet I didn't really feel like I was wet, but I was like, "Ugh, okay, hit this, shake this water off me, and now I can start running toward the, toward the thing." Like, um, but uh, this game, I mean, you just this feel like yeah, you're this, there right this Star off Wars the bat. game was was something different entirely. Like, I'm in the thing with the helmet on my head, and the dude walks up to me and is like in my face, and then Darth Vader shows up, and he's standing like a foot away from me and you feel intimidated like really physically intimidated right yeah yeah w- w- with from a guy that you've seen in film and pop culture forever and all of a sudden he's never before have you felt a six foot six large intimidating character hovering so close over you yeah i mean that the the scene at the spoilers but the scene at the end of rogue one um was like the closest it's come to this yeah it's like yeah, you've seen this guy, and he's you know cool. He's you know uh, badass, but to have him like in your face, like breathing and um, uh, forcing you to do stuff, like yeah, you will it was open more this thing. It was it was immersive in a way that the Star Trek game didn't quite pull off, just because you are like you know a person with these tools, and it was a little goofy, like the the lightsaber and the spanner, like just sort of floated where your yeah. oh sure yeah where your hips would be um where the star trek game i felt like i wanted actual buttons to press i didn't want to like sort of faux use my hand to control a controller that was controlling a fake hand to exactly. push a button. it was like another level yeah, of sure. abstraction that made it a little bit awkward but the sensation of like sitting there and looking around and seeing uh the different people and giving orders you know was was uh fairly yeah well in in that star wars game it didn't just do it does do the the immersion of like okay you've got a lightsaber which is the obviously the thing the the selling point to it having a lightsaber yeah but it wasn't just that obviously and you just played episode one in episode one there's you that's that and the hydra spanner are the main tools but the uh there's so much more like when you Mm. figure out the puzzle to like break through the locks and stuff, and they're all different, you kind of feel like you're grabbing the thing, you're yanking it out, you're twisting it and turning the knobs. It's like, yeah, again, it's like, um, a thing I mentioned when I first played satisfactory before I found Mm -hmm. out about the horrible spiders. (laughs) Um, the first time you like connect your thing and you put fuel in it, it's like, okay, now turn it on. And I'm like, where do I turn on? Oh, it's this big giant, bar like you've seen them in yep. cartoons when they throw the throw the switch throw the lever cronk um yeah you 
you grab onto this handle and you shove it up and when it connects everything whirs to life and in that game i'm just doing that on a screen with my mouse and i was like man that was really cool yeah you do it in this game and you're actually gripping the thing you're actually moving your arm forward and pulling the the lock out of the thing and twisting and because you're doing it all with your hands yeah it's uh it becomes just the sound the sound is so excellent it's the audio on the quest is right in your ears and i know You had it up all the way, and it felt loud and immersive, but I was standing six feet away from you, and I, I heard it, but just not like loud mm, but sure. at all. But you feel, like you said, that the insatisfactory, the chunk kind of sound. When you do that in here, you not only, do, as you described, you're moving your whole body and your arms and stuff doing it, you also get that satisfactory audio immersive junk at, yeah. at the same time. So it's all sorts of sensory things, and it's got great music and great... Um, I think part of that, as I've played it a couple of times now, is the audio. As you're walking through, you can hear you're in an echoey area, you know, mm. or you're in the jail cells or you're in the tunnels. And when Vader does like his helmet off thing, you feel like you're, you're, you're eavesdropping on him, you mm-hmm. know, that it's like you said, immersive was not enough. And it only gets better. I will say I've, I've played two episodes that are out. I think there's three or four out right now. And um, it just gets better. It's like they, oh, they figured it out in the first game. Now the second game or episode, I guess, they are just getting better and better. Um, like when you get the, you get a later, like your own lightsaber, it is, <laughs> it has a different kind of feel for sure to it than just like the Luke's lightsaber. Right. And it just all, and it looks different. It looks like this really cool, like Scottish weapon, you know, and I'm like, mm. Oh my God, it is. And it ignites differently. Like it flashes and it's got <laughs> crackling and they're like, wow, that is, this nice. is my lightsaber type thing. And then in episode two, you use the force. So you actually have to put your reach out with your hand and like and, throw people. And, and yeah. And it, and it like lifts and rocks kind of slowly start doing it. So it, it does a feeling like you have to put your arm out and your hand out and open it. And then the rock slowly starts to, to get, stronger and then you pick it up and you can suck it into you and you're like whoa i just used the force you know <laughs> it's like so it's nice. it's so good and the story's good and yeah and it couldn't be you couldn't really do that in anything but vr right? no like i remember you know probably almost 20 years and years ago now doing the the mech warrior pods yep at yeah. uh at a Dave and Buster's and like yep. they set them up at, at Gen Con too. Mm-hmm. But that like that works because you're in a vehicle. Like you only need yep. a couple of screens and yep. it feels real. That's kind of how I wanted the Star Trek thing to feel. Yeah. Um, oh, right. Sure. Yeah. I, and I, I, I think that, and I hope that Star Trek did well. Which is not to say that it was one. bad. Like, like I had fun with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. For sure. It's, it's definitely good. And I still love to play that. Cause I, once I get, like you do with anything, like you said, if I don't change, I'm not able to change the keyboard settings, I'll get used to it. If I enjoy it enough, mm-hmm. it just could be better. And and that's the same way. I, I enjoy it enough where I'm starting to learn the things that I can maneuver and I'm overcoming the problems. And I, I could see that if it did well and they made a, a, you know, bridge simulator two that they would improve all those things and make it even more immersive. Right. Um, and, and it is because the quest and the Oculus store is becoming so much actually successful uh, you're seeing iterations and you know seconds on games coming through where people are learning from. Oh, they did this well. I'll do that. 
and improve upon it. And then somebody else. Yeah, there's that. Th- there's a lot of that. Like this is brand new. They're they're finally getting things for it that are legitimately good, and it's just gonna, you know, keep keep moving forward from there. Yeah. So the um, the, the the Oculus Quest is a good platform that is. A, I can't even wait. You can't even say uh, how important it kind of is to not be tethered to anything too, right? Like that you were walking around in that space. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that was cool. That was fun. I'm, I'm glad uh, we got to do it. Cause I had the same experience that you did the first time where it was like your other people, like six people are standing around watching you and it's just a different kind of experience. Uh, something right. we also did, which not so successful, but I think it was more internet issues was that we tried yeah. watching a show together. We tried to watch Picard together mm-hmm. and we had some yeah. internet when issues. It- when it worked, it was fine, but we kept yeah. having uh, Wi-Fi issues. Right. It, it was, was kind of neat. We used uh, what's called big screen on, in VR. Uh, I will say this. After like 15 minutes of us being in that space, it didn't feel bad that we were in the same room with the headsets. Yeah, we were. I mean, it was kind of weird that we were sitting together watching a movie virtually together though while you were trying to get something fixed i did explore around with the public rooms mm-hmm. and um i found a room where guys were watching old tv i could not figure out what they were watching because i didn't stay in long enough yeah and i was i was using our buddy trotsky's headset so when i popped into this room one of the guys they had they had their mics on and he yep. was like oh hey trotsky how's it going man yeah and i'm like i'm like oh there are people here it's like the internet used to be um where you right. just drop into a chat room and they're except these guys were all watching TV together and to do it not to do it virtually I think is the big like you know selling point to something like that you're like oh we're going to watch like we used to watch Game of Thrones over at our buddy Pat's house like we're yeah. going to watch Picard and everybody's going to watch it together and so we've got all our little avatars and stuff but we don't have to physically be together and and it's I think it's totally plausible to you know barring internet issues hiccups or whatever Sure. Uh, it's totally plausible to see being able to do things like, you know, our, our buddy Fox or you are, weren't able to participate in the Game of Thrones nights or right. and things like that. But being able to sit and get online and do that, it, I see it totally plausible thing to do. Sure. Right. And, and those those rooms, I've hopped in there, too. And it's like they're watching Mystery Science Theater type things, old shows, mm-hmm. and they're all just talking, talking together. And that seems like I wasn't in there for more than five minutes, but it feels like a really fun thing that. I could see myself doing right. Oh, yeah. I'll just hop in this, see what other old movies people are playing or whatever show they're watching and, you know, communally talk about it. So, you know, right. it's, it's cool. I, I'm, I, yeah, I brought the quest for other reasons besides entertainment, but it's right. It, it, you know, for school, but it's well worth it for the, you know, it'll still, advice. yeah. The, the picture is, is not quite, it's sure. still not quite that. Like it's better than, it you know it's better than it was before but it's still it still you know has has improvement you know to make with the, the pixels and the yeah some some of that was, was lines uh, up with your eyes and it's all that, that uh it's that we have to drive down the price type thing it's like you know facebook right. yeah did every you, you single thing they could to get a 400 dollar con- the, 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 the early the early versions of this were like seven eight nine hundred dollars so i yeah. get that yeah. Um, so, so I, I, I would guess that if you had like a thousand dollar VR setup, it probably would be crisper and cleaner. But well, yeah, it's like phone. you look at the you look at the screen. You know, everybody everything's compared to the screen on your phone. Well, mm-hmm. unless you have a really cheap phone, 
your phone is like a thousand dollar computer. For sure. People don't, people don't notice it because they, you know, it's paid for by the month or it's subsidized by their plan or. Yeah, uh, for, for sure. Like that, for but, sure. That's a very yeah. uh, big thing to say is, you know, it's, you're paying a thousand or a, even a $600 thing. That's you buy a phone and it's, you know, gorgeous and nice and plays games, but you're buying a $600 computer there and you're complaining about a $400 computer. That's virtual reality, you know? So, <laughs> right, right. Right. So anyway, yeah, good. I'm, I'm obviously for it when I was, it'll be a great story. I think looking back on the fact that I was not into it, not into it, not into it. And then mm-hmm. at one point it just took a thing and I, I will say it's got to be the untethered thing. It's got to be that I can pick it up, put it on mm. it so fast that has turned me around. So I'm I'm happy I with that. It's cool. I'm glad that you got that. to excited. A uh, couple other friends got to experience it too in the same way, and I had the exact same. They have the same reaction you had to. It's like I can't believe this. Where can I buy it? Mm. You know stuff like that. <laughs> so it's it's pretty cool. Um, hopefully you know spreads the word. Hey, let, we yeah. should, what we should do is we're running along. We should talk about our movie this week. Let's do it. <laughs> This one is is a uh, Guy Ritchie's movie called Snatch. Mm-hmm. It is a mm, what is this crime drama <laughs> boxing? It's hard to say drama? what this is. the 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 IMDb page says uh, comedy, comma crime, 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 comedy, crime, comedy. Yeah, uh, and we from our outro last time. There's not really a you know how did you like it? I think both of us adore this movie. Um, yeah, and and I've seen it a million times, even a million times recently. Um, I w- watched it twice this last week because I watched it. We watch it every year at ICG Con. It's just eminently quotable. It was mm-hmm. it was on at least two times this past weekend. I actually did not sit down and watch the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I, I ran out of time for that. I should have done it. How, before how are we going to talk about it? You don't even know what's going to happen, right? No, I <laughs> I watched it. I I made Sarah watch it probably like a month ago. So oh, yeah. I'm like, eh, that's fine. It's a uh, we we also watched Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, which is another Guy Ritchie movie in the same kind of vein with a lot of the same cast. It, it was before this. This yes. is sort of the spiritual successor. And, and it, I and watched. It's, it's good, but it, it's very good. It's Lockstock is very good, but this one just at every second there is there's a scene that is awesome, like, and it goes right into another mm. scene that's awesome, and then right. another scene that's awesome. And I yeah. watched a. Um, I did watch a couple of YouTube reviews to get some kind of reminders. I was hoping for some kind of like long breakdown analysis thing that was like 30, 40 hour, hour long or something to get some more, you know, something to talk about this. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this one channel who I think they do board game reviews, but they're doing a side thing where they, they watch and talk about the top 100 rated movies on IMDb. Okay. And this movie at the time was like 96. It's now 100, so it's been passed up by stuff. I don't know oh. how long ago they okay. they did that video, but uh um yeah, it's so I don't know if we should probably hit the bell cuz we're going to spoil it, but this is a 20-year-old movie. Yeah. Um Yeah, let's do that. Anyway. Years old, yep. If you have if you still haven't seen this, uh we're going to spoil parts of it if it you could even call the story comprehensible. Well, it does have a comprehensible story. Yeah, there, but there's a story and some significant events happen at the end. But it's one of those where you almost have to watch it a couple times to even be able to figure out all 
all of everything that's happening. Like yeah. there are multiple parallel stories and they sort of come together at the end. Um, but it, yeah, there's it, just it a almost lot feels like it's on. just a, a day in the life of London crime area. It, it kind of is. Uh, and it's, right? Yeah. And it's, and it's crime in a way where none of the characters are good. Right. Like you <laughs> yeah, have the right. ones you have Jason Statham and, uh, and Tommy, I forget his name, um, who you're following around. Oh, Turkish but like, and Tommy? Yeah. Turkish and Tommy. But they're criminals, right? Like, right. Turkish's whole job is to promote illegal underground boxing. Right. right? Um, he's a manager. He's a, he's, yeah, he's a boxing manager for underground boxing. Yeah. Um, and so it's just this collection of kind of funny, uh, like almost comedy of errors kind of stories with these just rich characters. Oh, yeah. I mean, with the with the accents and the and the lines and the situations, and the delivery, and the reactions right? and the delivery. Like it's just all of it so unique and so good. I mean, I can I can talk about each character and how that actor has done an amazing job with this character and how it was the actor that. They contribute just as much as the writing, as, as the direction, as the... And every one of those things are top-notch, right? Yeah. Like, you can say, oh, would could you put somebody else in for Turkish? No, you, you couldn't because Statham made him confident and smarmy, but not ran... He never got ran over like Tommy well, yeah, would. Yeah, it's sort of, the, sort of the um, pretty early, like, like establishment of uh, Statham and his sort of characters that he will go on to play. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And, and he played, he, it was written and he played that part at, well, of Turkish. And then Tommy played, you know, a guy who was also a fine person, like, like a character, but was definitely subservient to Turkish, mm -hmm. you know, but, but not like a coward or anything, you know, cause Tommy has his moments as well. Um, and then, then you get characters like Brad Pitt. All of a sudden, oh, out of nowhere! Look, this is one of the biggest stars around. Brad Pitt's in this, doing a yeah. very like he he has played a lot of um, I'm going to say disaffected, right? Like just sort of laid back. Like you think about his character in um, Ocean's Eleven, mm -hmm. right? Like he cares, but only when it comes down to the wire. Most of the time, he's just sort of free flowing, loose. I'm going to rip off these actors, and I'm going to do this, and he's always got food in his mouth and whatever just kind of <laughs> and and this is like like i don't want to say final form but it's like the character that he's playing here it's like it's this gypsy like he's loyal to his group but they're they're apart from everybody else like mm -hmm. it's sort of the the this um stereotype i guess is the best word of of these sort of um nomadic cultures that still yeah. exist in a in a modern setting um where they're not they're not tied to a place so they could be gone at any point but they're a whole group so they're close within themselves but people don't trust them and they're they're also kind of you know free spirits kind of you know whatever so he he can fight and he's good but he doesn't he doesn't really care about stuff but he does right. care about a couple of things and of course, the like accent eggs. is he likes steaks, is right? just he likes dags. Um, 
one of the review guys said he went back and tried to watch some of those scenes with subtitles to try and figure out where, it, you know, Turkish. I was like, did you understand a word of that? <laughs> and he watches it with subtitles and there are no subtitles. Oh, right? that's great. It's like, no, uh, Guy Ritchie did, wanted you to be as confused as Turkish and Tommy are uh, in that scene. <laughs> You know, it, it's funny. I, I've watched that a million times. I think that I think almost all of it. I understand every time he says it, but there's still occasionally like, I uh, no, I don't get that part. You know, like he's just r- r- rattles off some gibberish and starts laughing, and all the other yeah, like, uh, pikes <laughs> start laughing. <laughs> That's again delivery, like Piddle will deliver line, and then he'll go like, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, that, you just you just smile and laugh, and like, holy crud, what just happened? You know, that was so good. And and the the cinematography oh, so is good. just so. I mean, this is 20 years ago. Now mm-hmm. it's granted like. Lord of the Rings is just about to happen. So it's yeah. not like we're talking about Hitchcock here. But right. um, even the movie starts, like, not right away, but one of the first, actually might be right away. One of the first scenes that you see is is the original Diamond Heist. Yes. Right? It's, right. it's leading up to it, but it's shown to you in a series of surveillance cameras. Yep, right. And and it's not cut. It's like the scenes are happening on different cameras, so they're on different TVs and the and the camera that we're looking through is panning from one T is it does it panning? I don't know. It's I don't just remember. it's it's either panning or it's or it's switching. Like if you've seen those security surveillance systems, they'll just rotate. Yeah, it, it's it switches through because they go from like they, they go into the elevator, then they go upstairs, and then it's yeah, right. I mean, they go from camera to camera, but I forget now how our view changes from one camera to the next. It, oh, I it think could it's be just a combination a of the yeah, two. I think it's just a switch, but it's and it's then definitely a presentation style. It's yeah, it's right. it's it's a sort of version of that long take thing because then they'll zoom back and the guy, the guard watching those cameras, sees those guys, you know, dressed up as um, as Jewish diamond merchants or whatever, who are just telling this random. They're just talking like like people talk, right. um, sort of like they do in uh, in Ocean's Eleven. The different guys when they're pulling that heist. Um, you know, they come out of the elevator right into that room, and it's so different. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd never seen anything like it. I'm like, oh, I see what's happening. Like, we're seeing this, but we're seeing it from this perspective. Um, As if, was, like, a police officer was, really cool. was watching this kind of, in, and you can see the how right. the heist was and then, actually taken off, you know? And then he does all, you know, their, their crazy things later where, like, they get in the big car crash, and it's shown, you know, three times from the different points of view, or... Mickey goes into the final fight and it'll keep like freeze framing or going into different tilts and stuff just to keep that like energy and uncertainty because everybody involved in that scene, except Mickey is stressed out and uncertain. Like when is he going to fall? When is he going to from brick top and Turkish and Tommy and all the people who bet money on, on the different things like they're all freaked out. And so the, the cinematography is conveying that, that uncertainty back to you. That's that's one uh, of the then, best things about watching that scene at the end when you like multiple times you see it is, is watching, you know, uh, Brad Pitt's character throughout the whole time because you 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 now know since we're in the spoiler section that he knows mm-hmm. everything's going to and uh, and how he plays it like he comes in that first thing and the first hit just knocks the guy cold right on the ground <laughs> yeah. you know and and you see him kind of like 
and the music stops, right? Because yeah, because that's sort of what happens when you go into like cold panic, right? Yeah. Like you you everything goes quiet around you, and uh, that, and then when the guy gets like the music comes back, yeah. Uh, but but Mick, you watch Mickey, and he's like, it, it was it was clear like a I'm. I'm I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do, but I'm immediately establishing my dominance type thing. You know, he yeah. just kind of shakes his head. He doesn't like right. taunt or anything. He just kind of shakes. Well, that's a thing I did. You know, and I'm like that is he's he's like that. And then he, you can see him kind of try and taunt to get the guy to hurt him. You know, mm-hmm. and then he's in it. And I don't know. It's it's so this like I said, going back to the cinematography. We watched uh, what's the guy's name that did Grand Budapest Hotel? Uh, um, oh wow. Uh, wow, wow, wow. Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. So you see Wes Anderson, and he gets lots of credit for being a unique visionary and things. And and I give him that for sure. It's definitely a unique thing. But Guy Ritchie, like, is a wizard with camera. It's like when you talk to a foley artist <laughs> and they say, "Oh, I want a sound of a laser bolt." So I go out to a metal wire that's hooked to a cell phone tower, and I hit it, and then I can see what that is in my head. Guy Ritchie sees scenes, and he's like. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to like play a song that goes whoop, 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 you know, and then the mm-hmm. camera will swoop that. So he's seeing everything from color to speed to, you know, tilt everything in the camera and just makes you feel it. And I, my biggest one is when you see uh, Mickey get hit real hard and it, the camera just goes, he's falling directly backwards and it goes real slow. And he hits the ground of the the boxing ring, and then goes through it like it's water. Right, he just falls yeah, into the river. Yeah, that's that like probably iconic thing that they would show, like when we watched Train Spotting, and he crawls into that toilet. Uh, just the like the shocking, uh, different. Yeah, and different and it, thing, and it's like that is. It, he, Guy Ritchie does this through the whole thing, which is why he's one of my most favorite directors. Is because when you watch a movie by him. It is every shot is made is part of the story. It's part of the story and how it's supposed to be told, how you're supposed to feel. And it's not just showing the story. It's the camera is part of the story. It's part of making you feel a way, a certain way, even in the yeah. comedy. Right. For sure. Yeah. And, and uh, it's my, my funniest part, I think, is, is still I laugh every time is when you see Boris hopping around with a tea cozy on his head in the middle of the street after, you know, mm. it's t- tied up and then the car comes and hits him. I laugh every time. Wait, great movie, right? Like if yeah. I, I can't see this not being on our top bucket list type thing. Uh, yeah. So, so final judgments, like unless you are not into like, there's a lot of language in this film. There's a decent amount of violence, yeah. probably more than I realize. Yeah. Sure. Um, Lots of, so violence, yeah. it, or, it's certainly not for everybody. Um, you know, don't, don't show it to small kids or anything. Oh, no. It, but e- even it, many but adults by the, the language and the way they use the language is pretty offensive at times. It's, you know? Yeah. It's pretty offensive. There's a, there's some pretty graphic descriptions because they're, they're underground bad guys. They all are right. bad they're, people. They're yeah. bad guys, you know? Yeah. So if you liked, uh, you know, some other movies around this time, like Ocean's Eleven or The Italian Job, um, and, uh, I mean, obviously if you've seen Lockstock or, uh, I don't know, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, yeah. there were a decent amount of crime movies made in this late nineties, early two thousands era. Um, and if you've seen those, you probably already have seen this one, but 
Um, yeah, this, this one's one. really good. I if hear that if you're not I, I if you're not put off by any of those things, uh, you would should, not be probably. Yeah, if pr- I, I've heard that he's got another movie out in theaters right now. That yeah, true? that's uh, the gentleman. Well, I, I, man, now I did not realize that I'm going to have to like peek in and check see, it out, check that out for sure. Cause that, that, I mean, I, I dig, I want to eat up all of the, his content and you know, when you watch him and, and you know, right. you know, some people can say that, oh, this is just a one-time thing that he got, but no, his, his all of his movies are kind of this way, you know, that he yeah, has a style. It sounds like from what just glancing at the IMDb page here, um, it sounds like it's a little bit of a return to roots kind of kind of thing for guy Ritchie because he's done other things like the um the sherlock holmes movie and uh which i enjoyed thoroughly those movies yeah and and you know here's that's a that's a really good point some of the scenes because i think a lot of people will have seen this the sherlock holmes movies with iron man with rdj uh Mm -hmm. the um there's several scenes in there if you've watched that and you're under, okay, what's this snatch like? There's several scenes where Guy Ritchie will pause and Sherlock will talk about, you know, what he's going to do in the fight to come up and punch a guy. Mm. And then, right. and then it happens real quickly. That That's a very visceral um, camera controlled cinematic scene that they do right. in Sherlock. And that's Guy Ritchie. It's not just, he does that things, but that's an example of how he uses camera to make you feel in the scene. And he does that in snatch and Lockstock in their own unique ways. Um, yeah. In that same kind of feeling you get there. So yeah, go, go watch this one, please, please, please. It's, it's, you know, if you're grown up and don't <laughs> mind us things to watch that one. So we didn't get to talk actually offline. What, what are we looking at for next week? Uh, next week should be, I had it open. Now I don't, uh it's drive it's drive with drive okay with uh ryan gosling i and i i have not seen this one so i don't know i'm assuming it's action ish uh crime drama so it sort of follows up to our uh our last week's a mysterious Hollywood stuntman and mechanic moonlights as a getaway driver and finds himself in trouble when he helps out his neighbor in this action drama. Action drama. Okay, cool. That, I, I I do like these kind of... I, I do like crime dramas, I guess. I think I I wouldn't have pegged that as one of my favorite-ish uh, genres, but I think things like Snatch and Lockstock and other shows, um, Heat, you know, have, have really uh, grown in. You know, change my yeah, mind on those kind a lot of, of a lot of people in this. Ron Perlman and uh, Brian Cranston. Awesome, awesome. So, okay, looking forward to that one. We're we're moving right along through 2020 in our 2020 challenge. You know, it's yeah, the, yeah. The years moving through it, quick. It it feels like we're close to being done, but it's going to be like December. Yeah, we're going to push it all the way to the end of this thing. We'll um, have to we'll have to start thinking about what we want to do after we're done. I don't know. Right, I, I'm. Well, I'm I'm feeling we'll have a a small uh, at least a short hiatus between after the poster and doing another kind of lister thing. But I think I'm I'm yeah. thinking of selling you on the idea of you know putting some four or five of our shows that that we liked that we did not make the list and watching those. Oh sure, have a kind of like a prologue, yeah, series type thing. Like hey, these didn't make it. You could call them honorable mentions. We would call them like must mentions type things. 
because there, yeah, there, well, there are it, several, I'm sure, and things that if, you watch that were, you know, sparked something in you. You, you got to, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball, things like that. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you know anything about people and, and review, like there are aspects of, of criticism, particularly film criticism that are objective mm-hmm. in terms of like, you know, retelling of stories or whatever, but opinions are, are by definition subjective and uh, everybody's list for this will be different. I think for me, not only would my list be different than anyone else's, my list would also depend on who I was making the list for, <laughs> uh, because sure. because that's that's how I am with my recommendations. I yeah, you you, you have uh, um, you know a lot of people who let's say like foreign films. You know, they, they I, mm-hmm. we have some friends who that's a lot. That's the bulk of what they watch, um, and they get they would get real emotional that some. Uh, one of their uh, a foreign language film was not in this one. We have several foreign language films, but yeah. you know that, that that they could put out. Or there's not a whole lot of um, Studio Ghibli movies, and some, to some people, those could be a thing that's super super important to have. So yeah, you know, we'll we'll get some also feedback from other people and our own opinions on like, well, you really truly missed this, you know, and you should watch that one. So and add that to our thing. So yeah, we'll, we'll and have if a you're time. if you're you know if you're a listener of the show and you have something we haven't done or you go to the website and see the list and you see something's not on there uh definitely shoot us an email uh we're at front porch pod at gmail.com or mm-hmm. you know the website's got contact forms yeah comment boxes on the episode we i don't want to love. miss something good the, the point of when we have this hundred yeah. poster was to to see things that that we hadn't seen before and i know there's been several on this list that i had not seen or did not even know of and you know i truly would put them on my list as well now so Always for open sure. for those things. Cool, man. I think we got a couple of lives saved after this weekend, especially since we killed enough yeah. brain cells last last weekend. Yeah, save some lives. We we yep, need lives yep. with all the coronavirus things going on, so we need to save everything. Yeah, we can. yeah. We're, yeah. We're watching that as a situation unfolds. Rough. For sure. Well, this has been the front porch episode one hundred and thirty-three. Uh, I already said half of the things already, <laughs> but. Uh, if you like Star Trek role-playing or Star Trek role-playing, you can check out our other show. It is called Klingons and Dragons. It's not safe for work. Don't put it on if your kids are in the car. Uh, if you enjoy the show, you can subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, thanks, as always, to Geek Scholars Movie News and LRM Online. Um, I think I said all the things. All the things. Check out our website, frontporchpodcast.com. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Until next time. I'm Dennis. And I'm Michael. For the front porch. Night, everybody. See you next time.